You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here for Locked On Nationals podcast. Today it is August 17th. 2021, and today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. On today's show, Devin Fink of Fangrass joins us. Devin and I go way back. He and I actually went to camp together uh, in the 2010s when we were both in high school. I think Devin was a little bit younger than that. But um, Devin broke the story of Billy Butler to the A's when he was in like seventh grade, I think it was, um, which is pretty crazy. And he's really grown ever since. He works for Fangraphs now. He's 20 years old. He goes to Dartmouth, so obviously a very smart kid. But wrote an article uh, about what Patrick Corbin can do to improve. So Devin and I dive deep. All things Patrick Corbin. Really fun inside look. And we kind of kick around thoughts and ideas for what the Nationals could do to get him back on track. Not just this season, but heading in to next year, more importantly. Hope you guys enjoy today's show. All right, for the first time on the Locked On Nationals podcast, it is Devin Fink of Fangrass. Now, you and I, you and I go, technically speaking, we go like way back. Uh, you yeah. and I went to camp together, broadcasting camp together. And then it, tell it me if I'm wrong. Summer, it was the summer after my uh, seventh grade for me. Seventh grade. So what, so how old are you now? You're what, 20? I'm 20. 20 now? 20. Okay. Yeah. So... What, 2000 and... I, it must have been like 2014. I think I was 20, probably yeah. 13 or something. So I'm not yeah. sure. When did you... There was a story. The first story you broke was what? Was the Billy Butler story? Was it? The yeah, that was story? after... That was after camp. That was when, you know, at camp I was blogging and stuff. But then yeah. that was that November, that offseason, the uh, 2014 offseason. Um, so at tw- so you were how old at that time? What, 13, I was 14? still 13, yeah. 13 years old. So you had the Billy Butler to the A story. Yeah. And so I remember, you know, we're like, oh, wow, I guess Devin's Devin's going to, gonna, you know, jump ahead of us and uh, he, he's already off and running. And so how long have you been working for Fangraphs? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, just, you know, I, I did, I started to, I started trying to do reporting um, yeah. and thought that was, that was fun, you know, trying to be first on the story, make some contacts, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but after a while I was more, you know, I, my interest was more, um, moved in the direction of wanting to do analysis, wanting to do research, wanting to look at baseball, kind of like uncover questions and things like that. Um, Cause reporting, it's like whoever's first on the story is first on the story, first but like, yeah. you know, getting to, you know, go through data and, and find trends and things like that, that was more stimulating, more interesting to me um, after a while. So um, before I wrote for Fangraphs, I wrote for Beyond the Box Score, which is SB Nation's baseball mm-hmm. analytics website. Um, and so I started there when I was in 10th grade. Um, and then got the job at Fangraphs uh, the March of my senior year of high school. So just a few months before I graduated. Um, and I worked there for about a year. Uh, the pandemic hit. So they had to lay off all of their part-time contributors. So I was uh, not at Fangraphs during the 2020 season. Um, and then uh, got rehired when, when baseball com- successfully completed a 60-game season and, you know, started a 162 game season, they're able to project, you know, better revenues, able to hire more staffers. Um, so I got my job back this March. So wrote nice. there in 2019, didn't write there in 20, and then I've been writing there in 21. That's kind of, that's kind of the, uh, the story. You know, what's really interesting. Graphs. So you mentioned the reporting part of things and, 
it was evident to me during the trade deadline that there is no baseball woge, right? There is, there's Passon and there's Heyman and there's Rosenthal. And then, I mean, the, the Bob Nightingale is just a meme at this point. So that's kind of, there's kind of that. Yeah. Um, you know, that part is really interesting to me because I mean, even Ken Rosenthal, like Ken was tweeting about Max Scherzer. Basically it sounded like he was going to the Padres. Right. Yeah. I mean, it sounded like it was a done, it was a done deal. Right. And, um, you know, the, the locked on Padres guy we had was just like, he's so fired up. I think he actually did it. We might have done a video too. <laughs> it's like, here come the Dodgers just ripping their hearts out yeah. at the last second. But it just shows you that, you know, basketball to have Shams and Woj at that level for, um, for football to have, you know, your Adam Schefter and I think in Rathport are kind of the big two, right? That we they, kind, they get pretty much get everything, right? Yeah. Those two guys get basically everything. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, hockey. Yeah, I don't really follow hockey close enough to, to say who's who it is there. But you know, like the big sports, they have they have those people, right? Baseball is kind of like I know I trust those guys, but like it seems like they don't get the news the same way. And also, we get a lot of more fake reports than most people do. I mean, you get a lot of. I remember during uh, who was it this off season? Uh, George Springer, right? It felt like there was not a whole lot of credibility to a lot of the George Springer stuff that we heard. So it's just kind of an interesting thought. What do you think about that with the, the baseball kind of big reporting? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there is fragmentation there, which I think allows for things to slip through the cracks. Um, I think also with baseball, like one thing that I, I think is true is, is there's less concentration in the agencies. A lot of the really mm. good players are spread across many different agencies, um, which, you know, it only takes one leak here or there. Um, you know, I'll never, I'll never say who, where I got my story, whether it was team right. side or, or agency side, but I think that's part of it too. Um, looking at a broader landscape, like, and you can kind of tell, I'm not going to, you know, make the tells here, but you know, which agent, which agents talk to which reporters, if you right. follow it right. closely enough, like if you, if you see who gets the big scoops on certain players and you look at those patterns, you can, you can kind of tell. Um, so a lot comes from that side, breaking trades is more on the team side. Um, and so mm-hmm. you have to have really well-placed sources, um, at one or both t- hopefully both of the teams in order to be able to do that, because you got to be able to confirm these things, um, and be absolutely certain. Um, so, you know, I think that's kind of the difference because the agent side, you can, you can get a lot of the leaks, um, I think for contracts from that, but then the oh, team yeah. side, you, that's where you can also get contracts. You can, that's where you have to go for the trades. Um, and then I think the fragmentation among the big reporters, the fact that there's no big two that basically just controls the entire marketplace uh, allows for things to slip through the cracks. If, if, you know, their specific sources, if they all have basically their one or two guys in the agent world, and then the teams that they're better well-sourced than others, they could easily, something could much more easily slip through the cracks. And that's kind of how I would describe what happened that fall, because ultimately I reported this and it was radio silence for a day entire day. And then I reached out to Ken Rosenthal on Twitter. I basically asked him for his email address. And he was like, I'm not going to give you my email address, but I'll follow you back temporarily for a DM. And I was like, look, I broke this story. Like, what am, what am I supposed to do with this information? Here's the tweet that I sent out yesterday. Yeah. Um, and, and he was like, you know, I'll look into this and see if I can confirm it for you. And if I do, I'll give you credit. And so that's kind of how it ultimately worked out. So for that, I think that is a prime example of how something mm-hmm. slipped through the cracks. I got very lucky, got some good karma there. And it just happened to work out in my favor. Quick pause for the cause on today's show. Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag. You guys in the deal, betonline.ag 
is the best place for all your sports gaming needs. I mean gaming, I mean sports gambling, my friends. It's hot in the streets right now. You can bet on MLB, NHL, NFL, Bellator, UFC, Formula One, whatever you want to bet on, they have it available at betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today. You can do it on your iPhone, on your tablet, on your computer. You can even do it on your old iPod Touch if you have one of those still and it connects the internet. You can do it wherever you want to do it. Then you can sign up uh, and use the promo code Locked On. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, Locked On. And when you, you do that, you receive a 50% deposit bonus. So an extra 50% on your original deposit you get at betonline.ag today, promo code Locked On. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, it's. I just find that the report and look, that's something that us media nerds get into, right? That's kind of the, you know, this stuff is interesting to us. Maybe not interesting, but I, I do think it's it's a, it's a it's a very um, it's a question I've been kicking around with some people who are also in media about just kind of the baseball media landscape and how, you know, I mean, there were some TV people on the San Diego side who were like, yeah, yeah, you can you can you know you can book it. This one's this one. And, Look, you got to be careful. I will say this. And as a radio guy, I don't mean to crap on the radio people. Like, do not believe the TV and radio people. They do not have the well-placed sources that the general print media, and I know print media is kind of a weird term. It's changing. But, uh, you know, I would, I would say always trust those people more. Until, like, your Woges or your Shams, your Zach Lowe's, your John Heyman's and Jeff Passons, for the most part, until those guys have it, you know, I would I, I wouldn't throw a party. Would you say that's safe, Devin? Yeah, that's that's pretty much the way to go. Yeah. Um, all right. So I had you on today because you wrote something very interesting. And uh, basically, we're going to talk about can the Nationals fix Patrick Corbin? I saw a number yesterday that said, um, I think he might be the worst pitcher the Nationals ever had who's thrown 100 innings. I'm pretty sure it was at least like the last like 10 years. I think for a guy who's thrown, and this is just ERA, which I know is not always the best way to look at it, but in terms of ERA, for a guy who's thrown 100 innings for the Nationals, he is the worst they've had in some time. I think the last bad one they had was like 4.97, somewhere in that range. He's at over six. Um, last year, he talked about how he didn't really feel comfortable. And a lot, of, a lot of guys didn't. There were pitching injuries all over the place. This year, he's looked even less comfortable than the previous year. I thought Ryan Zimmerman made an interesting point. He said, for lack of a better term, we abused him in 2019 championship run. Um, I, think that's a fa- I think that's a fair characterization of his usage. Would you agree with that? Yes. I mean, yes and no. It's, okay. like, it's hard to say. I mean, they push him to his limits. I think that's for certain. But like abuse, pitcher abuse to me is something that carries more long-term effects. And I think the easiest way to measure that is, is velocity. And while he did experience a velo downtick last year, it's, there's so many confounding variables that won't go into 2020 if that you can like write off. I think mm-hmm. any one of them in particular, um, you know, everyone had a spring training and then was shut down. And then every pitcher had a different regimen you know, to get ready for the 60 game season. And some were stressed about playing during a pandemic and not being able to see their families and unable to perform as well. Some got COVID, some were worried about getting COVID. So, you know, Vila was down last year, but it was also 2020 and nothing to say. And I think if it was more of long-term concern, the Vila would still be down. Um, and it's back up to like 2017 levels for him, even at like, I think he's what 32 now. So 
I, I have a hard time saying he was abused. Did they push him to his limits? Absolutely. Like, was it worth it? Like, yeah, they got a championship out of it. You know, I, 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 yeah. think, I think, I mean, look, I can't speak for Patrick Corbin himself ever. Right. right. He's a different guy, but you know, these guys want to win. These guys want to do whatever it takes to win. And, you know, I think something deep down, he threw three shutout innings in game seven of the World Series to let the Nats take the lead. He was the winning pitcher. You know, wins don't matter, but mm-hmm. he was the winning pitcher in game seven of the World Series. There's a certain grandeur in that right. yeah. um, that that sometimes make these things worth it, especially when I don't actually think there's signs of abuse. But that's just me, a lay person. One more pause in the action on today's Locked On Nationals podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Rock Auto Longtime sponsor here, Locked On Podcast Network. You guys in the deal, go to rockauto.com today to find the best selection of parts for your car or truck. They've got thousands of parts from hundreds of manufacturers. You go there today and you can find everything you need for your vehicle. And best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for pros and do-it-yourselfers. Go over to rockauto.com today. Right, locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box. That way they know we sent you. Amazing selection, always low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is also brought to you by Wild Alaskan. We all know that we should be eating more fish. That way we can get our proteins and our omega-3s. But the seafood counter can be an intimidating place. Which fish tastes the best? Which type of cut? Can you really be sure about the quality? Wild Alaskan Company takes the guesswork out of buying wild-caught seafood. Wild Alaskan Company delivers high-quality, sustainably-sourced, wild-caught seafood right to your door. And now you can get it for $15 off your next order. Your first box of premium seafood, if you visit wildalaskan.com, will be $15 off if you use that promo code wildalaskan.com slash MLB. That's wildalaskan.com slash MLB for $15 off your first box. wildalaskan.com slash MLB to make sure you use that URL to get that $15 off. Let them know that we sent you. I think the idea of abuse probably comes in when it's like, this guy's not a starter and they ended up tossing to the pen, right? The idea that it's like, we're 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 so non-confident in the 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 uh, how complete the bullpen is, right? That we're gonna yank our third best starter and just yank him and put him in the back end of the bullpen. And I think that's where the idea of of abuse is. Now I'm with you. They want a championship, um, and that's really what matters. The problem is here, and I think you made a great great point. Your article is that if they want to be competitive again sooner he's got to be better because they've got so much financial capital tied to him. Right. I mean, correct. He's hit, he, you know, and if, if you feel like I'm wrong at any point, stop me, but they've got so much, I mean, they can't make other moves because they're so tied to him. You know, I think it's. Him and Strasburg. Right. I him mean, and Strasburg. Stras- Strasburg is the whole other. Oh God. I don't even know I, that one. It's like, is he ever going to pitch again? Type, you know, type. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, it's, it's really bad, but. You know, you look at the numbers, it's in the 20s this year, and then it goes up to the 30s in 2023 for how much money he's making. Um, yeah. Do you think there are steps that should, that, that he can take to improve? Like what, and, and I don't want to give away the entire article, but this is, you know, this is the point I have you on here. Let's kind of walk through it. What do you think he can do 
to not say reach 2017, 2019 levels of, of Patrick Corbin, but a reasonable level of uh, quality starter. Cause that's where he's got to get to first before he can make that jump to top end guy. Right. I mean, I think for him, it, it ultimately comes down to a slider, right? I mean, if his slider is not working, he's not a good pitcher. And it's as simple as that. And one of my favorite Patrick Corbin anecdotes was back when he had his breakout season. And I think in his contract year um, with, with the diamondbacks, when he posted almost six war and 200 innings at a 315 mm. ERA, he basically said, yeah, I was just like, all right, I'm going to throw my slider more. My slider is my best pitch. So why not just throw more? And it was kind of this, you know, a, opinion of like pitching backwards, which has become a very, right. um, you know, a, more common phenomenon in, in baseball and, and using your best pitches more often um, is also just something else that's, that's been like, it makes sense intuitively, but it's right. not about getting ahead with the fastball. If your fastball is not that good, the hitter's going to swing it and hit it. So you, you look at Corbin's numbers from, you know, 17 to 18, they all improved. And from 17 to 18, you know, he upped his, up his slider uh, percentage substantially. Um, and so I think that that plays a big role in 2016, he didn't even throw his slider. Uh, it was his third most used offering. So, mm. you know, you can see over time that like, he was just like, all right, let's just throw the slider more than every other pitch and see what happens. And I think that was a big contributor to his success for how good that pitch is. So if, if the slider's not working, then Corbin's not good. And I think it's really that simple. So you know, the fastball usage is something I want to touch on because I felt like I don't know the numbers back this up, but it's just I've watched a lot of him pitch this year. He, he, when he gets behind, it's it's pretty much over. It feels like because when you're working with a fastball, it's really it's nothing special, especially this major league level. And I, I feel like as the guys, as more guys throw faster, it it gets a little bit easier for guys to pick up on the stuff that's not coming in as fast. If that makes sense. Now there are some anomalies. Right? Rich Hill is a guy who's that fastball is effective and it looks pretty fast if you're throwing a 61, you know, 69 mile an hour curveball. So to me, you know, what do you think about fastball slider usage? Because the thing is, if you're throwing that slider, you got to throw it for strikes. I mean, you got to get ahead of guys. And I feel like this year he's always pitching behind the eight ball uh, against a lot of hitters. And I think some of that might come, come into confidence. Um, you know, if you don't feel like you can throw your slider for strikes in the strike zone and you think you're going to, that's the pitch where you have to get the whiff at the end of the at bat because it's not going to be in the zone, then you have to get ahead. Um, but his fastball, I mean, both his sinker and his four seam have been extremely hittable this year. I mean, mm -hmm. hitters on his sinker are hitting almost 300 with a 554 slug. And on his four seam, they're hitting 342 with a 556 slug. So and, and that's embarrassingly bad. And, no, that's and, a, embarrassingly bad. Expected stats would suggest that's like equal to their bad ball quality. It's not even like a bad luck issue there. It, th those pitches are just truly meatballs. And so, you know, you, you can sit fastball, honestly, on, on for, for Corbin. And if you can do that, you're going to get something that you'll be able to drive. The expected stats on his, on his slider are still pretty good. They're not as good as they've been. They're still pretty good. Uh, but, you know, if, if you can make more contact and even just spoil them, foul them off, do whatever, um, you're going to get a fastball at some point Eventually, and you're yeah. crush it. And so the thing is, is like the huge concern is that, you know, in 2019, when hitters swung at his slider, they would whiff 51% of the time. Mm. Now they're only whiffing 38.7% of the time. And so that still is a lot. That still is a very valuable option. But that, that 13 percentage points 
means that they're they're spoiling it. They're putting it in play more often. It's a more hittable pitch for some reason. And if it's a more hittable pitch, they can sit fastball because they don't have to worry about striking out on the slider. And this fastball is so bad this year that you can right. basically just expect to get something batting practice esque. So you you think it, you know the effect the slider is still effective, right? But it sounds like what you're saying, and this is kind of something I've been parroting this year, is that he's got to be better with the fastball, the both both fastballs. He's got to locate better and make sure they're not pitches that are just hanging red dead over the plate, right? It's it's because it, it starts with that. I mean, that, that's also that's a big part of getting ahead. I mean, we call them wipeout pitches for a reason. Right. A wipeout pitch usually isn't in the middle of the zone, right? It's not something you can get to. So that's why he, he's getting behind because if, if you're going slider more often and you're throwing slider first second pitch. If, if guys are more patient or they said it's spoiling it, eventually you got to give them a fastball. It, right. And, and so I think that's one part of analysis that is sometimes hard to conduct. It's like how the pitches interact with one another. I mean, you can, <laughs> you can try and gather some of that when you look at count based statistics, when you look at, you know, what, what they're doing with their sequencing, things like that. But ultimately it comes down to these pitches aren't in a vacuum but mm-hmm. it's sometimes helpful to look at them in a vacuum to maybe make inferences, right? The expected stats, as I said, they're still good on the slider. They're so bad on the fastball that hitters are probably thinking to myself, like, I just got to see a fastball. And if I see that, that's the pitch I'm going to go for. That's the pitch I'm going to swing at. That's the pitch I'm going to be able to drive and do damage. And they've been able to do so much damage this year that he's been basically the worst pitcher in baseball. Yeah. I mean, he is like, you watch him pitch, you're like, is there any way somebody could be worse than this? Like, it's honestly, which is, it's so weird to watch a guy who, I mean, you know, I watched John Lester this year, right? And got awful, like absolutely horrendous. over the hill. That's uh, ju- it's I mean, that's what it is, right? Over like what? several hills. Like this guy, the fact that the Nationals and yet they were able to get him, something for him. I, 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 like as bad as signing him was, the fact they get an outfielder with team control, I don't care if you know, he had two hits yesterday. I said this on today's podcast. Devin, I said the Nats already won the trade. He got two hits in a game. I'm pretty. It's pretty safe to say they already won that trade. So big Lane Thomas guy over here. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, you didn't have. He has to be like literally. If he's below average, he's still better than whatever John Lester was this year. Um, yeah. But the thing about John Lester is his age was up. His numbers were going down. Like it, it was it trending right. in a certain direction, right? Patrick Corbin, like you talked about, and I, I mentioned this all the time. Pitching prime is what. Mid thirties, low to mid, low to mid thirties for a lot of guys. I mean, I mean, he he should be in it, right? I mean, yeah, he's yes. maybe he's on the on the back end. Like, is it twenty eight to thirty two? Is it twenty nine to thirty three? I don't know, yeah. but like, he shouldn't. You're right. This shouldn't be an age thing. And, yeah, and no. again, velocity would suggest that it's not right. like him losing it. Right. I mean, no, he's it, throwing it, as hard as he did four years ago, and his so, velocity is never the issue. Like, it's it's right. all about working off of the pitches that he did the slider and working off the slider that he has. Right. That's that's why it's. You know, this is a conversation I've had. I wish they had more flexibility because if I was them, I'd move him to the pen. Last year, Austin Voth was horrible. And I was like, move him to the pen. For God's sakes, you're throwing this kid out there every five days. He's getting his ass handed to him. You know, what are we accomplishing? Do you think that might be the right move? The problem is they don't have anybody to throw. Got, I mean, like who's going to come in and throw for? I mean, I know one thing the Cubs are doing is, is that I think they've moved to a six-man. I mean, the sellers, like the trade deadline – has made some really, really horrible, really, teams. really bad, teams. truly, I mean, truly horrible baseball. Teams. There are yeah. some teams that I just am not sure will ever be able to string together more than like two or three wins in a row this season <laughs> at this point. And yeah. I hate to say it, but the Nationals had a, yeah. had a very fair amount of talent. 
Yeah. And now they just don't. I mean, it's it's Juan Soto and company. So yeah. I think one thing, I mean, maybe you try and do like they're pitching like Sean Nolan. Like I, I really have no idea what the answer is, but maybe a six-man rotation. I think moving him to the bullpen, it's demotion. Like it's not a health thing, I think, for him. It's not like mm. a, you know, I think it's more of just like a maybe skip him a skip a turn for him or something. I just said put him on the 10 day IL. I was like, just do it. Just put him on the IL, give him some time off. You know, even if, even if you're like, dude, don't come to the ballpark for like three days. Like, just don't, we don't want you here. Don't show it's, up. Right. It's not going to it. change anything. Right. Like, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, yeah, they, like, like, like just throwing you out there every five days clearly is not working. Yeah. So I mean, I would to, skip a turn. Yeah. Maybe put him. maybe IL him. I mean, I know teams sh- like the rules, they're not allowed to do that, but you know, fatigue is something you can even put someone on the IL for. And, right. and I'm not sure how much proof you actually have to give. No, I agree. I think I don't think move a drastic move from of him to the bullpen. I, I think he's he deserves more than that. But I think even just a reset or maybe mm-hmm. like 10 days where he can work with the pitching coach and, and whomever to, to kind of suss out some of these issues would serve him to, to um, you know, serve him well. You know, yeah. I, I think ultimately that would be the a, a potential solution. I don't know to work. But it would be something, and something it, is better than nothing. And here's what I'll say, because to me, pitching is pitching's like putting. It's like one of those things where guys just suck at it for a little while. And, you know, I mean, how many times do we see guys change locations and they're completely different people? I mean, Chris Flexen, Paul Seawald, great examples, you know, two guys who are Mets that go somewhere else. You know, guys just – actually, it happens across places. You know, it even happens, you know, Max Muncy, great example, guy in one place. Right. Sox go somewhere else really good. Gio Urshela. Baseball is one of those sports where it happens in a lot of places. It sounds like what you're saying is if he came back next year and was semi-Patrick Corbin and just said, yeah, I just need the offseason off, you would not be surprised. You're like, yeah, it's, it makes sense. Yeah, I don't, I don't think this is a fundamental issue with mm-hmm. Patrick Corbin. Um, it is concerning that his slider is, is hittable enough. I wouldn't call it hittable. It's not hittable still, but it's hittable enough that make that runs him into some serious trouble and that's the problem right like if you're so reliant on one pitch Mm -hmm. being so good and i think i cited this in my article that i know we're going to ultimately talk about he had like in 2017 um something or 2019 his slider was the fourth most valuable pitch of any pitcher in baseball by run value and and so it's so concentrated in that um, and, yeah. and run value is a really good holistic measure because it, it sums everything. A called strike is worth plus. Swing mm-hmm. strikes are worth plus. And then batted ball outcomes, if they're outs, you know, it, it uses Woba and converts that into runs. And those are all pluses. And so he basically, you can think about it this way. He, quote unquote, saved 27 runs with his, his slider. His next best mm-hmm. pitch that year was his sinker, and it was, it was minus five. And then all of his other pitches, his curveball was minus one, and his four seamer and um, his changeup were actually plus. So hitters actually, you know, benefited off those, whether it was from bad location or whatever, or or, be- or good results when they put it in play. Who's to say? But it's so con- his success was so concentrated in one pitch that if that pitch isn't there, then he's not going to be successful. And this year, his slider has been worth negative value. He's instead of saving 27 runs, he's allowed one compared to average. 
Yeah, and maybe it's the fact that he does throw five pitches, right? I mean, technically speaking, he throws five. Maybe it's one of those deals where it's like, look, this offseason, you got to get if you give yourself a better chance, if you work on another pitch a bit more, you know, just something else you can throw at hitters. I think that's a possibility. Um, you know, that's that's something that I wouldn't throw out uh, throw out of, uh, as a as a as an outcome. But I think his curveball has shown flashes of being good. Yeah. But he only throws it to righties. Yeah, he only he throws it like what one percent of the time. He's I mean he's thrown like twenty of them this year total. I think. Right. So I mean that's yeah. that's something. I mean I mean it's hard to say, but you know I think it's 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 hard to say. Or maybe he just needs to invent something new. But right. and the changeup too. He's got a changeup that he throws roughly five percent of the time. But he's got to work on I mean, again only the righties. Only the so. righties, yes. So it's something he's got to he's going to end up having to work on. All right, that will do it for today's show. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at lo underscore nationals. You can follow me at Josh Neighbors underscore. Until next time, my friends. As always, stay safe.